I'm Eric Ashley. I'm honored and grateful to be one of the pastors here at Grace and uh, honored to be with your kids in the morning. It's very much fun. And uh, as long as I can keep my stories straight, they're doing a different story than you guys. If you guys could line up, that would really help me out in my memory. But we had a good time talking about Moses and the burning bush today and how God can help us all do great things. What comes to mind when I mention the phrase, in the wilderness? Temptation? Lost? I hear. Trees? Bear? Starving? Fear? Anger? Happiness? It's amazing how we all have different pictures of what that wilderness might look like. As many people that are in here have as many different versions of what the wilderness might be for you. And it might be for you at this point right now where you are, and and maybe 10 years earlier was a different place, and maybe it was 10 years before that or after that, or be a different feeling of being in the wilderness If, if we're honest, I think we all can think about that we have experienced being in the wilderness at some point in our lives. And we're, we're an open, authentic place. One of my wilderness places is, uh, is my struggle with weight and, and food. And uh, I'm, I'm, working, I'm working that out. And uh, right now working in a 12-step group about, about food and my relationship with food. I love food. I love to eat when I'm happy, and I love to eat when I'm sad, and I love to eat when I'm mad, and everything in between. <laughs> but I'm finding that that's not always a great place. In fact, Friday, Tracy and I had a wonderful date day, and we went to a concert, and 2,500 of my closest friends in the House of Blues standing for two and a half hours is, just to be honest with you, is not my deal. And created anxiousness in me that I wanted to go eat the entire Disney Springs. (laughs) And there's lots of places to eat bad stuff there. And I've been struggling with this for, for some way differently for 30 years, and and now I'm just really beginning to understand that it's not just me having the willpower not to eat something that I like or maybe not even like. It doesn't even have to taste good, frankly. It's, It's a, those who struggle with an addiction, this one being overeating or compulsive eating or having an eating disorder or food addiction, it's much more than just the physical act. It's mental and emotional and relational and spiritual. And we're continuing as the series take a step, and, and we're looking at how God forms a people. And God formed a people in the beginning, and God continues to form a people in us today. And, and so we're talking about taking a step toward the center of God's life. 
and saw the shoes around. We just didn't forget to clean up. We're taking a step toward the center of God's life, centering our lives on God's life. And so where we are in this story is in the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers gets kind of a bad rap. It's not really, people don't think it's exciting, not many people read the book of Numbers, but in fact, it's some really amazing stories in the book of Numbers. And this happened because the translators, when they translated into Greek, into Septuagint, many, many years ago, they didn't focus on the real story of it. The Hebrew text, the name of the book was called In the Wilderness. Much more exciting title. The Greek, they took it and they said, okay, there is a census at the beginning and there's a census at the beginning, let's call it Numbers. It lost a little bit of its panache. But this story continues to take us from where Moses and the Israelites are in Mount Sinai. They've had the Ten Commandments, they've made a covenant, they made a promise, they're traveling around, and it's about a, a travel log stopping in three different places. We have Mount Sinai, and then they move on to Iran, and then go into Moab. And it's the story of moving from these three places, following God's lead. And it starts out with a census, accounting the people. Let's see who's with us. And they count all the people, and they give a record of all the people. And then they form up. They built the tabernacle, and they decide, okay, this is how we're going to form up a, a people. And the, the tabernacle is at the center of it, and then the Levite tribes are around it, and then Moses and Aaron and their families are around it. You can see a picture of it, which I thought was remarkable, the shape of it. The 12 tribes of what will become Israel, all a little different size but arranged around the center of the, of the tabernacle in God's presence. And so they follow this cloud of God's presence. Sometimes they break this camp and they, they line up, and there's a specific order to the parade route with Judah leading the way, and they follow the cloud, and they go to where? So they go from Sinai to, to Paran, and, and then Paran to Moab. But along the way, there are difficulties. Again, there's a, the shortage of resources, especially of food and water, and complaints begin to happen. But God fulfills those complaints. And then there's a complaint of, of leadership. And this time it comes from Moses' own sister and brother, Aaron and Miriam. And they're like, well, why does Moses get to be in charge? I should be able to get in charge too. And there's a little revolt there. And then and later there's a, there's a revolt led by the priests, the Levites, say, well, why again, why does Moses get to be in charge? We want to be in charge. We're in the center just like Moses is. We should be able to get in charge. And they lead an on-all revolt, trying to take control of the people and lead them in a different direction. They led them in a, people, a group of people that wanted to go back to where they came from. And at the end of Numbers, God gives them their wish. Many times, God will give us our wish. God gives them their wish, says, okay, if that's what you wanted, then you're not going to the promised land. We're going to let the next generation go in to the promised land. 
It wasn't a punishment from God. It was just said, that's what you want. I'll let that happen to you. And that brings us to our text, Numbers 13, starting in 17. It'll be on the screen for you as well. I'll just read it from there. It says, when Moses sent them out to explore the land of Canaan, he said to help them go up there and into the arid southern plain and into the mountains. They're going to explore the, the promised land, and you must inspect the land. He sent 12 people to do this. What is it like? Are, are, are the people who live in it strong or weak, few or many? Is this land in which they live good or bad? Are, are there towns in which they live camps or fortresses? It, is the land rich or poor? Are, are there trees in it or not? Be courageous and bring back the land's fruit. If it was the season of the first ripe grapes. And they went up and explored the land from the Zin Desert to Rehob and to Lebo Habath. And they went up into the arid southern plain and entered Hebron and Ahiman and Sheshai and Talmai and the descendants of the Anakites where they lived. Hebron was built seven years before Tanis in Egypt. And then they entered the cluster ravine, cut down there and from there a branch from one, with one cluster of grapes, and they, and they carried it on a pole between them, this huge cluster of grapes. And, and they took pomegranates and figs, and the place was called the cluster ravine because the cluster of grapes that had, the Israelites had cut down from there. And they returned from exploring the land after 40 days, and they went directly to Moses and Aaron and the entire Israelite community in the Paran Desert at Kadesh. And they brought back a report to show them and to the entire community and showed them the land's fruit. And then they gave them their report. And in a good Methodist way, we had a majority report and we have minority reports. First, the, minor, or the majority report. We entered the land to which you sent us. It's, it's actually full of milk and honey, and, and this is its fruit. There are, however, powerful people who live in the land. The cities have huge fortifications. And we even saw the descendants of the Anakites there. The Anakites lived in the land of the arid southern plain, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the mountains, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Now, Caleb... Caleb and Joshua were the minority report. Now Caleb calmed the people down before Moses and said, we must go up and take possession of it because we are more than able to do it. But the men who went up with him said, we can't go up against the people because they are stronger than we. And they started a rumor about the land that they had explored, telling the Israelites the land that was crossed over to explore is a land that devours its residents. All the people we saw in it are huge men. And we saw there the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, who came from Nephilim. And we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. And that's how we appeared to them. The entire community raised their voice and the people wept at night and all Israelites criticized Moses and Aaron. And the entire community said to them, 
if we only had died in the land of Egypt, if we only we had died in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? They go on, our wives and our children will be taken by force. Wouldn't it be better for us just to return to Egypt? So they said to each other, let's pick a leader and let's go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembled Israelite community, but Joshua, Nun's son, and Caleb, Jephunneh's son, from those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we cross through to explore is an exceptionally good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. It's a land that's full of milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are our prey. Their defense has deserted them, but the Lord is with us. So don't be afraid of them. But the entire community intended to stone them. When we find ourselves in the wilderness like the Israelites, many times I think that we begin to wander and wonder. We're wandering around under our own power and we're wondering why is God letting this happen to us? Or we're wondering how can I get myself out of this? Wandering under our own power and wandering under our own power. And when we're stuck in this wilderness, there seems to be three possible responses. This might be a wilderness individually or uh, communally or, or globally for us, but there seems to be three responses. The first is responses, heck yeah, let's, take, let's go to the promised land, let's go get, get it done like Caleb and Joshua. Let's take the hill. The second response is what we saw in the majority report is like, let's just go back to Egypt. It was so much better. It was so much better in Egypt. We didn't have any of these problems in Egypt's, Egypt. And then there's this place in the middle, this kind of place of ambivalence and indifference of, yeah, this place isn't so great, but Egypt, that's a, that's a long way to go back to Egypt. We could just stay here and you know, that's a, that looks like a lot of work to go to the promised land. So how about we just we stay right here? I know for me in my wilderness, that's how sometimes how I feel. Like some days, man, I am taking the hill and I'm eating great stuff and I'm changing up my my uh, plan and I'm, I'm working the tools of of OA and I'm and I'm connecting to people, and, and things are going well. And then there's times, like when it's like, bring on the cake. And I'm not talking about a piece of cake now. Just one cake. And then there's a lot of times in my life when I feel like, in this wilderness, it's like, I'm never going to get out of this place. So why bother? Why bother doing either way? 
I think if we're honest, we kind of all have similar feelings like that at times about our own personal wildernesses. And we have communal wildernesses. Our church, all churches, most churches, many churches are struggling right now with with their mission of what should we be doing as a church? What is God calling us to do? What ministries should we should we start? What ministries should we continue? What ministries do we need to let, let go of that were fruitful at one point that are, may not be fruitful anymore? Many churches are struggling with attendance and participation and financial success. All churches, all churches, every person I talk to is having to come to grips that this is a different world than it was. And, and we need to connect with, in new ways in new places, and with new people. The days of moving into a neighborhood, you get your school, you find your dentist, your hairdresser, your doctor, you find your church, and all is good. It doesn't quite work like that anymore. And our church is no different. Our church has some struggles, and and we may be in a wilderness place right now, and we've had some radical shifts of staffing and changes going on, and, and attendance is lagging, and and participation is lagging, and and numbers financially are are lagging, as George has shared and Mike has shared before. We're carrying a lot of debt still on our buildings and our land. Mike has asked a couple weeks ago to consider increasing your current giving by by 10%. And George has asked you to to ask you to take some steps. If you're not giving to give, and, and if you're you're giving to increase for 2020. And I would just ask you to consider that, prayerfully consider that. If you believe in the mission of creating a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace, and you call this place your home, my apologies if you're here for the very first time. It doesn't always happen like this. You just hit stewardship month. But if you call Grace Community your home, Will you be willing to make an invest in it, investment into it to, so we can go and take the promised land? Because if we, if we don't, if we stay in this place and we kind of get focused in, this is what happens when we want to join the Back to Egypt Club. The first thing that happens when we want to join the Back to Egypt Club is that we become bitter and we can focus on bitterness rather than on blessing. We focus on what we don't have, what's not being fulfilled, rather than what God is blessing us with. It's one of the reasons we start every meeting with two things. We look at our mission, our vision, our values, and our essential DNA, that we are a contemporary church. We focus on reaching next generation, small groups, all these things that we focus on. We focus on our mission, vision, values, and then we talk about God sightings. Where do we see God working around us? So we're not focused on getting bitter in what we don't have, but focused on the blessing of what God has taken care of for us. Second thing that happens when we want to join the, the, what I call the BTE club is we become crook-backed rather than imaginative. Now just think visually of what this looks like. The weight of the wilderness is on our backs. We begin to walk around like this. What is it going to take for me just to take the next step so I don't trip over these shoes and 
In fact, why are these shoes up here? This is crazy. We're focused on just surviving the next step. And we don't have any imagination about the future and what it could look like. Dreams are gone. We need to look up and look out and look up and focus on God and follow the cloud of God. The third thing, and maybe the worst thing of all, we become practical atheists rather than spirit-inspired people of hope. When we're wandering the desert and we're wondering under our own power, well, how can we make this work and what advertising campaign could happen this and what kind of program could we do to make bring more people in and, and how could we do this, how do we make the budget work? That's all good. We need those talents. We need those skills. But we also need to be a spirit-inspired people of hope that God can can do that much and more. God can do a math that doesn't add up. And, and hope is not, I, I don't want to get kind of off track on, on hope and this kind of pie in the sky thing that just happens. That's not what I'm talking about. Greg Jones, the dean of Duke Divinity, when I had a class with him this summer, he had this great definition of hope that has just stuck with me. He said, Christian hope holds on to the positive and it's rooted in the vision of God and God's reign and blessing of our created goodness. Yet, yet it is also vigilant in attending to the realities of human sin and brokenness. It's looking forward to the reign and vision of God that is to come, but we're also still aware things aren't so great here we got some things to take care of. There's some work for us to do in order for God to do what God's going to do. That's hope. So friends, I, I just want to encourage us not to get caught up in the BTE club. That as we, we move through our individual and communal wil uh, wilderness, that we look toward that promised land, we, we don't become bitter, we focus on the blessing, we don't become crookback, but we continue to be imaginative and innovative, and we don't lose sight of being inspired and led by God. The book of Numbers and all that we've read so far up to this point, many, many times we see when, the, when they try to do it on their own, didn't work out so great. But when they followed God and did their part, it was good. Let's not be those people. Let's get a plan. Let's get organized. Let's line ourselves up by our tribe. Let's, while we're sitting in the wilderness, let's, let's wonder as we wander in the wilderness. But let's not wonder under our own power. Let's wonder under God's power and what God can do. And let's dream, dream God-sized dreams because there's a land flowing of milk and honey with some great big clusters of grapes. It has obstacles. It has big obstacles. It has God-sized obstacles, and we can't overcome them by ourselves. But together with God, we can, if we trust God and if we do our part.
So we have to choose hope, God's hope, or we choose to live in the fear of what it might take to get to the promised land. Amen? Friends, the altar is open as the band comes to finish up. It's a great place to pray. It's a great place to consider how you can be a part of the Promised Land Club, not the BTE Club, individually or communally and globally, as our world needs a word of hope right now. Amen? Friends, will you stand as we sing? The altar is open.
numbers was even a thing as a teenager or young young 20-something not growing up in the church I heard the pastors speak this blessing which I thought was really amazing and it wasn't I don't even think till years later I figured out well this is in the Bible it happens to be in this book called numbers or into the wilderness and I love this blessing so friends receive this and go from this place to live it out. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. God bless you. Amen. I will bring praise. I will bring praise.